if we could turn in our Bibles to Isaiah chapter 54. In Isaiah 54, we're going to see some amazing promises that God gives us. And we're going to start on a series, and I'm entitling this series, Unbelievable Promises. And I'm going to ask you, has anyone ever given you a promise before? Have they ever promised you something? I I think I shared this with you a couple of weeks ago, but my dad promised me a steak dinner when I was 10 years old if I could run, I think it was like 40 or so miles in a span of 30 days. And if I could do that, and this was on vacation, that's the hardest time to be disciplined, isn't it? But if I were to do this, he promised that I would get a steak dinner. Now, I didn't get treated to many steak dinners, so this was exciting for me. I managed to do it, and my dad was good to his promise. What makes a promise certain. The only thing that makes a promise sure is the person who's making the promise. And I knew my dad would keep his promise. Now, when we believe in Jesus, God promises us many things. As we, as we work our way through Isaiah 54, we're going to discover many promises that he gives to those who believe in him. But I want to tell you this, to receive all of these promises, you don't have to run 40 miles. I just want to put, it, I want to put you at ease on that. We are simply asked to believe in Jesus, to be willing to turn our back on our past that the Bible calls the old man, and to be able to follow Jesus. He's going to take care of that old man in your life, that old you. He's going to help you distance yourself from, put that old man, that old woman to death. Now, I want us to read through this passage, but before I do that, I want us to look at the context of Isaiah 54. Are you there? If you were to look at Isaiah 54, many promises, but what's the chapter that comes before it? It's Isaiah 53, a well-known chapter in scripture that talks about the coming Messiah. And very detailed, all 12 verses talk about this Messiah. Isaiah's writing 700 years before the fulfillment of Isaiah 53, all 12 verses that give us a picture of the Messiah coming as a suffering servant. It even says this, that the punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And it goes on to say that all we like sheep have gone astray. The Lord All we like sheep have gone astray. Each one is turned to his own way. Come on now, that was you and me, right? And the Lord has laid on him, Jesus, his son, the sins of us all. That is the gospel. So we see all of these promises in Isaiah 54, but we see the provision of these promises in Isaiah 55. And then we begin to see in Isaiah, uh, Isaiah 53, and then Isaiah 55, the chapter that follows, we see how we can receive these. We see the proposal of, this, of these great promises in this way. It says, if you were to look at chapter 55, verse 1, come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have, have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. How do you buy without money? How do you receive these promises? And if you were to read through chapter 54, he talks about these precious promises. He says, by repenting and believing. No money, but the currency of heaven, faith, a receiving, a surrendering to him. Now, I've chosen not to focus on Isaiah 53 and Isaiah 54. Again, Isaiah 53, this is the provision 
of these promises. Isaiah 54 are the promises themselves. And then how do we walk in these promises? How do we purchase them, if you will, without money? That's what Isaiah 55 is about. So as we go through this chapter, and we're going to take four weeks to do this, I want you to, and you can do this on your own, but you can just, as you read through it during the week, write down all the promises that you see that God is speaking to us. I'm going to tell you this right now, that the fulfillment of these promises in Isaiah 54 take place in the new covenant. And we're going to see that most specifically next week. But we have some questions. We have some things to observe here because these promises, sometimes they're in the form of figurative language or a metaphor. We're going to see one of those this morning. And we're going to need to ask, who is this or what is this? But as we begin to search the scriptures and come to some conclusions, we're going to see some pretty amazing things as far as what is it that God is really promising to us, to you and to me. All right, are you there with me now? Isaiah 54, verses one through three. That's all that we're covering this morning. Just these three verses. This is how it goes. I'm reading from the NIV. Sing, O barren woman, you who never bore a child, burst into song, shout for joy, you who were never in labor. Listen to this, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch out the tent curtains wide. Do not hold back. Lengthen the cords. Strengthen the stakes. Here's the promise. For you will spread out to the right and to the left. Your descendants will dispossess nations and settle in their desolate cities. Wow. Three promises that we see here, and I'm going to focus a bit more on the last one, but we do need to understand all of it, I believe. The first promise is that the barren or desolate woman will have more children than the one who's married. Now, I've never seen something like that happen, a barren woman having more children than a married woman. How does that happen? But he promises this, and we're going to need to understand who this barren or desolate woman is in just a moment. Here's the second promise. Her present living quarters is a tent. Her present living quarters will need to expand to, in, to accommodate all of these children that she's going to have. That's pretty significant. And here's the last one. I think this is the coolest one. Her descendants will spread out into the nations and occupy, this, it calls them the desolate cities. And we're going to need to discover what are these desolate cities? Well, if we were to ask... What does this have to do with us? I think we're going to begin our journey back in chapter 49. So keep your finger here in 54 because we're going to come back to it. But I want you to turn to Isaiah 59, excuse me, Isaiah 49. So go, turn left in your Bible, Isaiah 49. <clears throat> and I'm going to read just a few verses from 19 through 21, three verses. Isaiah 49, 19 through 21. It says this, though you were ruined, and he's speaking to the Jews, though you were ruined, and made desolate, and your land laid waste, now you will be too small for your people. And those who devoured you will be far away. The children born during your bereavement will yet say in your hearing, this place is too small for us. Give us more space to live in. Then you will say in your heart, who bore me these? I was bereaved and barren. I was exiled and rejected. 
Who brought these up? I was left all alone. But these, where have they come from? I think if we look closely, we're going to discover in these chapters from 40 to 66, Isaiah 40 to 66, uh, it, it reads very differently. Prophet, the, 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 the content is very different than the first 39 chapters. We're going to discover that this barren woman are the Jews in exile, both in Assyria and Babylon. The married woman is Israel before their punishment. Israel, before the Assyrian invasion, before the Babylonian invasion, in which much of Israel, many in Israel, were taken captive and exiled into the various nations around them. So physically, the married woman is Israel before God's judgment upon the land. Judgment for their sin. They were desolate, because of their sin. Now when he was, now he brings them in exile, it's as if they have nothing. They're separated from their land, their heritage, the temple, everything that they held dear. And they're now considered barren or desolate. This is the barren woman that he's talking about here. Actually, if we were to look at this just a little closer, we're going to discover something even more significant. This is, this is amazing. Because right now our focus is, okay, the barren woman, Jews in exile. Okay, I get that. Eventually they're going to come back. And, and is, this what, is that all that this is about? And if so, then, okay, I'm living like 2,500 years after this. What does it have to do with me? Well, Paul actually tells us, in Galatians chapter 4. So I'm going to ask you, turn to Galatians chapter 4, and I'm going to read several verses to you. And Paul tells us in the new covenant who this barren, desolate woman actually is. It is not simply the Jews in exile. That's the physical fulfillment of this because they do come back from the exile. But there is a spiritual new covenant application that he could not be clearer with, okay? So I'm going to encourage you, go to, if you would, go to Galatians chapter 4, and I'm going to start with verse 22. It says this, for it is written that Abraham had two sons. Now, just bear with me. You'll get it in just a moment. One of the slave women, excuse me, one by the slave woman, and we actually had Madeline read or tell us a little bit about that woman. Her name was Hagar this morning. One by the slave woman and by the other, and the other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born in the ordinary way. But his son by the free woman was born as a result of a promise. These things may be taken figuratively, for the women represent Two covenants. One covenant, that's the old covenant, one covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. Underline that word, highlight it, slaves. This is Hagar. Now, Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. So you understand this. Figuratively, the, uh, she, Hagar represents 
the present Jerusalem. He goes on. But the Jerusalem that is above is free. And she is, listen to this, she is our mother. For it is written, and what I'm about to read to you is from the passage I just read in Isaiah 54. Be glad, O barren woman who bears no children. Break forth and cry aloud, you who have no labor pains, because more are the children of the desolate woman. Underline that phrase, desolate woman. Underline that word barren. This is the description of this woman that he is saying is Sarah or represents Sarah because more are the children of the desolate woman than her who has a husband. Listen to this, verse 28. Now you brothers like Isaac are children of promise. Children of promise. You, like Isaac. Isaac was Sarah's son. Are children of promise. So who is this, according to Paul, who is this barren, desolate woman? She's figuratively now, figuratively, that's Sarah. Literally, she's the heavenly Jerusalem. That means the saints that have gone before, it is the kingdom of God and her subjects in heaven itself right now. Now, just bear with me. We're going to unwrap this real quickly. So the barren woman that is, at least in heaven, that would be, if Paul say, that would be the Jews. All the Jews that have, be- that have believed in them when Christ came began to believe in Jesus, that is the barren woman. That is the desolate woman. That is the woman who physically was in exile, but spiritually as well, disconnected from God, now believing in the Messiah. They are the ones in heaven. They're in the heavenly Jerusalem. But who are the children? That's where I really want to go. Who are the children of this woman? Are they Jews? Well, I'm not going to disagree with that. Yes, they would be. But you see, more. You may remember that the early church for the first 10 years was almost strictly Jewish in its ethnicity. They are called the remnant. If you were to look up Romans 9 and Romans 11, Paul uses this term, the remnant. They are the ones who return to God. Not just the ones after the Babylonian captivity, the physical captivity, but there is a spiritual captivity locked in sin. And Jews that had turned away now are going, they're they're said to now be returning to God. Romans 9, Romans 11, that remnant are Jews that now place their faith in this Isaiah 53 Messiah on whom all of our sins were laid. His punished, the punishment that brought us peace was upon him, the Messiah, Jesus. So for the first 10 years of the early church, who were the descendants? They were the Jews, almost exclusively. But then God opened the doors to the gospel of the kingdom and Gentiles started coming. And they didn't come in just a little by, just little, by little. They came in droves. They came in and they fled. 
began to flood the church, so many of them began to believe in Jesus Christ. They witnessed miracles. They even saw the dead raised. They saw the lepers healed. They saw the sight received. They saw the, the, the blind receiving sight. God was at work moving through his people, healing and doing miracles, proclaiming the gospel. And many said yes to Jesus Christ. Gentiles who'd been excluded from the old covenant, now in the new covenant, they're embracing Jesus and embracing the Isaiah 54 promises that we're going to be looking at. That is you and me. We are the children. Now in the new covenant, you and I, we are the children. We are the descendants of this barren woman. So as we read through this chapter, those, these promises, they were initially given to Sarah or the heavenly Jerusalem, the Jews, but now through the new covenant, through the Messiah, they're given to us. We are the inheritors of the blessings of this new covenant, you and me, Jews and Gentiles alike. Now, Paul puts it this way in Galatians chapter 3. He says, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ, all you all, one in Christ, he's talking to Jews and Gentiles here. They're all in the same footing. No one is more special than the other. Now Jews and Gentiles coming into this new covenant, embracing a newfound relationship with Jesus Christ. He says this, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. You are children of Sarah, if you will the barren woman. Now, we then, you and I, are her children. But as we go back, and I'll look back there in Isaiah 54, it talks about a tent. Now, if I were Isaiah, and I'm going to be talking about the exiles coming back because they, the exiles coming back from the Syrian and Babylonian captivity, you would think physically that would be the, the children of the barren woman. So why wouldn't he talk about houses? Why wouldn't he talk about physical structures made of stone or clay? Why is he talking about a tent? Because you see, he needs us to see that where he's going with this entire chapter is not just to those coming back from exile. He is speaking figuratively just as Paul did in Galatians 4. He is speaking about the Abrahamic covenant. Where did Abraham live? I know he lived in Canaan, but where did he live? Did he live in a house or did he live in a tent? You see, Sarah, Abraham living in a tent. The covenant cut with Abraham is now going to be fulfilled. Do you remember what he promised to Abraham? See, this is why he says, you know, enlarge the place of your tent. Open your tent curtains wide. He has Sarah in mind here. It's a picture in his mind of the Abrahamic covenant now spilling over into the new covenant and being able to gather in not just Jews, but Gentiles as well. Do you remember what he spoke to the promises? There are seven of them that, that God spoke to Abraham. The last one is, and all nations will be blessed through you, Abraham. Not only would his seed, his descendants, be like the sand in the seashore, and that took some time, by the way, to fulfill, but even beyond the Jews, hundreds of millions in the new covenant 
now in covenant relationship with God through Christ. And this is the picture that Isaiah is seeing hundreds of years down the road. He's picturing this. in his. So Sarah, Abrahamic covenant, Jews under the Abrahamic, extend your open wide your tent curtains and extend the, 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 the ropes and strength, strengthen the stakes. This is going to open wide. Now, we also have a prediction of this way back there in Genesis chapter 9. Now, I'm not going to give the entire context because I don't have time, but you can read about this. But in Genesis chapter 9, this is what Noah says. It is a prophecy, Noah, hundreds of years before Abraham. And he says, may God extend the territory of Jephthah that inhabited Europe. Much of Europe, remember, embraced the gospel. May God extend the territory of Jephthah. May Jephthah live in the tents of who? Shem. Gentiles coming into this Abrahamic covenant with the Jews. The Shem's descendants were the Jews, the Hebrews. Now, do you see this? This is now Jephthah living in the tents of Shem. Gentiles coming into faith and into this amazing covenant with the God that created the universe that Gentiles had been lacking understanding or been exposed to who had even heard of. And now in the new covenant through the gospel, they are. This was amazing for them. But I want, to, I want us to now focus on this one last concept. As you begin to see the explosion of the gospel in the new co- under the new covenant throughout the world, Listen to this. It says, you, referring to the barren woman, you will spread out to the right and to the left. Your descendants, that's you and me, will dispossess nations and settle in their desolate cities. Now, again, remember, who were the initial children in the early covenant, the early church of the new covenant? It was the Jews for 10 years. And now suddenly, as the gospel's going out, Antioch, now throughout the Roman Empire, through Paul and others, as they're proclaiming Christ, they are now, he puts it this way, dispossessing nations. God is moved through the gospel, moving through these nations and turning his enemies, conquering their hearts and allowing them to be his friend, allowing them to be now in covenant relationship with him. You see, he is calling the, the, the Gentiles who don't know Jesus, who are outside of this covenant and only looking in, he's saying, you are a desolate city. Now, this is the same word desolate that described the woman in exile barren, apart from her homeland, rejected by God because of her sin. That was you and me. You are described here by Isaiah. I am described as a desolate city, rejected, abandoned because of our sin. Looking on to what God had been blessing and pouring out upon the promises, upon the the Israelites, and only being spectators. And now he beckons to you and me. This is for you too. This is for you too. And we have a choice. We can now continue in our desolation, or we can take that step of faith and enter into this new covenant and be healed 
That which was desolate is now healed. In Isaiah 35, listen to this. Listen to how, how he writes about this earlier, this change that takes place. It says in chapter 35, the desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. Skipping down to verse six, water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. Now, just follow me on this real quickly, and I'm going to take a few minutes and wrap it up. That word that we discovered in Galatians 4, Paul is quoting from Isaiah 54, remember? He calls her a barren woman. He calls her a desolate one. That Greek word for desolate, Paul purposely uses it. It's usually translated wilderness or desert. You see, that was you and me. We were the wilderness. We were the desert. We needed to come out from our exile. We needed to come out from our slavery into this promised land, into every blessing that God has for us, and we needed to be healed. We were desolate. We were our own wilderness, cast aside because of our sin, and God now has welcomed us, in, and he has changed you. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you are no longer a desolate person. You are no longer ruined, destroyed. Use the synonyms for desolate, but you have been healed. You have been restored, do you see? This is the promise that we now encounter as, as recipients of this new covenant. These are the precious promises. And what does God ask of you? You got to run 40 miles for me. No. He says this, can you receive this? Can, can you allow me to change your heart? Can you allow me to come into your life as you surrender to me? And I will do all of this for you. I will change you all of the desolate land, all of the wilderness in which there's little water and little vegetation growth blossoms. Just step back and watch the wilderness, the desert in your life will bloom. This is what he's sharing with them. He starts there in 35. Amazing. You see, <coughs> this is a picture of the redeemed, freed from exile, the remnant. This is the gospel taking desolation and bringing forth consolation. But what does he tell them to do? Look at their first word, chapter 54, verse 1. It says, sing. It says, burst into song. This is a rejoicing. This is a celebration. This is a dancing, much like that revival song Juliana led us in. And she was up there and she was just wanting to dance because it's celebrative. It's exciting to have been taken from this place of desolation and now being filled with God's consolation because of these precious promises. He's changed us. Your wilderness is blossoming. Now, let's be really honest and real right now. Many of us don't feel that way at times, do we? Many of us feel as if we've been cast aside. Many of us feel as if God has rejected us, even as believers in Jesus. Can I share something with you? You have believed a lie. The enemy has painted a picture for you of a wilderness and a desert again and said, this is you. And he's a liar. But let me tell you this. You can make a choice to believe that lie. And if you believe that lie, you will remain 
in your own prison. The Bible, Jesus put it this way in John 8, 32. He said, and you shall know the truth. And what is the truth going to do? It will, you've heard it before, and the truth will, what? Set you free. That's right. Set you free. As long as you believe the lie, and by the way, later on in that chapter, Satan is called the father of lies. You see, as long as you believe the lie, as long as you believe that you are still desolate, you are still wilderness, you are still out there separate, rejected, kicked to the curb by God, abandoned by him, you are stuck. And at least in your mind, you are still a slave. You see, this is why in Romans chapter 6, turn there, if you want to, just turn there real quickly. In Romans chapter 6, he talks about that old man, that old you, that old me, that when I came to Christ was crucified with Christ, dead, but we resurrect him with these lies of the enemy. He begins to paint another picture of the desert and the wilderness and the desolation and destruction and ruin. We still see ourselves as a desolate city. That is a lie. This is what he tells them to do. That old man, he's crucified. Listen, this is what he says, chapter 6, verse 11, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. That word count is the Greek word logizomai. We get the word logic or logistics from this. It's an accounting term. You need to see on the accounting term, and the figures don't lie, it adds up that you are not in debt. You are no longer indebted from your sin. That has been canceled. We reckon it. We logistically think, I am set free. That is the truth. The only lie remaining is that the enemy keeps speaking to you. You're still dead. You're still in exile. You're still rejected. You're still abandoned. God doesn't really love you. All of these lie after lie after, reckon yourselves dead to that old destruction destroyed or, or desolate city. That was you in the past. It is not you today. So count, reckon, consider yourself dead to that who you were. That desolate city, no longer. That's not me. What is the truth? Because whatever that truth is, it's going to set you free. That truth is you have been transformed. That truth is that you are free and no longer slaves. That truth is that you are alive and you are not dead. That truth is that you are in bloom and not a wilderness. That truth is that you are restored and not destroyed. That truth is that you are revived and not ruined. You see, there's an internal spiritual metamorphosis that has taken place in your life. You may not see it. In all honesty, sometimes we just need our friends to help speak this truth into our lives. And that truth is you have been changed. Through faith in Jesus Christ, you have become born again. We may feel bereaved. We may feel we're in the wilderness. God wants to change that. If you're going to embrace the rest of these promises that we're going to go through, 
But if you're still stuck in the wilderness, or at least that's how you see yourself, you will not be able to embrace, you will not be able to walk in these promises throughout the rest of this chapter. But they are yours. You're part of the new covenant. You are the descendants, the children of of the, the, the promise. These are for you. And I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to close in prayer right now. I want to extend to you the truth for you to believe the truth, for you to allow that truth to just percolate down into your spirit and set you free from all of those lies. Can we have the lights? I'm going to close this in prayer. If the Spirit of God is ministering to you and you want this weight and this heaviness, you can pray exactly where you are. And that's totally fine. If you want to come up to the altar and allow Jesus to lift that burden from your shoulders and speak truth in place of lies, you can come up to the front. But Father, we come before you right now. Your son Jesus went to the cross to endure the most grueling pain and shame of taking on my sins on himself. And he did this so that we would have this new relationship with you, so that we would encounter your promises, that we would be born again. And I'm just asking, Father, where the enemy's been speaking lies, you're desolate, destroyed, ruined, beyond hope. We identify those are lies. And I just right now yield that to you, God. Every lie that the enemy's been speaking to us, that's just bringing more ruin because we're being held captive by these lies. Free us, God, in Jesus' name. Please, God, free us. Free us with your truth. The wilderness is in blue. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord, that you have changed us. You have transformed us, God, by your grace, by your very precious promises. It seems unbelievable, but that's our problem. Today, you're asking us to believe them. Believe them, my friends, believe them. Father, help us right now. We're battling right now even to embrace these truths. These are believable promises because they come from the promise keeper. You're good, God. Speak truth right now in Jesus' name.